And welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we are going to head over to Camp Chippewa, where we are going to meet all of our other like uh, white, privileged young people who go to this camp, I guess. Um, we are also going to... Uh, Head over to the hospital and meet our new uh, baby that is now part of our family, I guess. That's right. Y'all are family here to me. Okay. Uh, but we're also going to, we're also going to call the agency to talk about a little lady named Debbie Jelinski because what the fuck is wrong with her? But anyway, besides all that though, today we're going to be covering a little movie from 1993 called Adam's Family Values. That's right. It's around the Thanksgiving time, you know, is when you're hearing this. So, you know, happy turkey day, I guess. I think of it as um, ham and mac and cheese day because that's what I like on this holiday because fuck Thanksgiving uh, as a holiday, like <laughs> the history of that, but whatever. Uh, but, you know, I couldn't do this alone by myself. All right. So I decided to bring on a guest uh, to this episode of the show. Uh, so this guest of mine is actually don't even know if they've ever been on a podcast before, but first time for everything right um so they are a um public speaker and an advocate for diversity and inclusion in different organizations and things like that so they've done public speaking appearances apparently they're also in a band that's kind of cool um and also they're like a super cool new friend that i've met uh but please welcome travis mcmaster hi travis how are you doing today hey how's it going excited to be I'm here good. To be talking about adam's family values absolutely love 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 this film forever also i've caught up on the mac and cheese like i could go for some mac and cheese and i love it whenever love it. a family member brings mac and cheese to any holiday event so amazing i mean it's just so good not for the lactose intolerant perhaps i understand but it's still worth it though um but yeah uh but travis so the way i kind of met you i guess uh was you actually um well i didn't know who you were at all um and then you and i think you heard uh, me on the horror queers podcast covering all about evil and we just kind of started messaging really uh from there and i was just like you know you're also like a east coaster myself being from baltimore you are i believe in pa uh yep. which certain parts are really beautiful and i really like it but uh you know but i uh i thought that like you know all right cool like we should you know just like talk 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 and i was like well you know if you ever want to be on the show like i'm i don't have like a, a process i literally am just like hey you want to be on my show great <laughs> oh you have zoom all right awesome you know so uh but i i said i was like if you'd want to be on my if you'd want to be on the show or anything like what would you cover and you actually gave me some things of like would you cover this or would you cover that or whatever and i'm just like yeah probably actually <laughs> um, i had a lot of, i had a lot of questions there's a lot of movies that i i want to talk about exactly and you definitely will not be the only time on this show you'll be on another time of course be on the lookout for that y'all but anyway so uh but i will say that you know um i just liked your vibe dude like i really like this is great i always want to make sure that i'm being respectful of your pronouns and things like that as well i know you go by they them i believe um yes. so i always think it's important to do that i think of Thanks dude so is not even a masculine i'm just like i would call anybody same <laughs> i'm very much uh ed from good burger in that way true truly <clears throat> or uh for myself a ninja turtle i mean I, exactly. I, dude or all those movies from the early 90s right it's it's surprising they don't say dude 
in the Adams family, but I guess that I, wouldn't, that wouldn't I know. Isn't that crazy though? But anyway, but we're just chit chatting at this point, but I guess, uh, to, to bring it back to Adams family values. So I normally also like to talk about like, Hey, what is your history with this movie? So also, I guess, Travis, what is your history with this movie? Like, when did you become aware of it? What is it about it that makes you like it? It would make you want to come on and talk to this homosexual about it, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so I I guess I have a long history with this movie, but I was trying to remember, I'm pretty sure I saw this first before the original film. I, I don't believe I saw it in theaters. I probably saw it at Blockbuster like, or rented it or whatever. Ironically, as a kid that wasn't really into spooky things, there was just something about like, this family and this family dynamic that I just absolutely fell in love with. And then, of course, you know, Christina Ricci, being in it and just being in so many movies throughout my childhood. And I just, it's always been there. I've, I guess as I've gotten older, I've come to realize like how much it's like shaped my personal aesthetic, the things that I enjoy, my sense of humor, just so many things, especially in this rewatch, trying to like take notes and then actually think about it. I'm like, oh my goodness, like this movie is like everything to me. Uh, so much so. And I'll just say this like kind of right off the top that I mean, those listening, you can't see, obviously this is an audio thing, but I have a bunch of tattoos and on my right, yeah, my right leg, um, it's a bunch of portraits and I have Morticia, Gomez and Wednesday with a bunch of other characters or um, whatnot from different pop culture things like the Munsters and Alf um, on my leg. So I... Just absolutely love this movie. Always down for watching it and always down for talking about it. I love that. That's awesome. If anything, when this episode comes out, when you're hearing this, listeners, I think we'll just make it a point that uh, with Travis's social media, uh, I'm sure they will also post like a picture of like their leg or something to just kind of show like, hey, I love this fucking movie, y'all. Um, I'm sure of that. But uh, so I'm giving you something to do, Travis. There you go. Um, but uh, you know, that's so totally fair. As we speak. I know. Go put up this tattoo leg picture. Okay, got it. No feet pics, though. That's an extra fee, but you know, that's a whole other story. Uh, anyway, but yeah, no, that's totally fair. I mean, um, because I, I was born in 1992. I think you're a little older than I am. Is that correct? I, I would assume yeah. so. I was established in 1985, according okay, to my so the yes. tattoo on my wrist. So yeah, I'm a little older uh, than you. At, at least, at least from what that says. I mean, you could have gotten that from aliens for all I know. Who knows? But anyway, so, uh, but yeah, no, I, some, you know, I'm a little younger, but like, you know, I definitely was in the demographic of who could watch this movie, I guess. However, I did not grow up watching this movie like at all. I think my sister might have. She is uh, born in 1989. So like, I think maybe she did at one point. Um, like I'm kind of tangentially aware of it, but also i was like i didn't grow up watching it so i was just like okay like like to be honest i don't even know if i knew who christina rishi was for like the longest time like i can't remember specifically like what her first role i remember was right um it's like but she said so many iconic ones but like you know it's one of these things where it's like i didn't really know um but obviously looking back it's like oh this was such a great one for her and you know someone like angel houston and like joan cusack and all this you know but um but yeah i think i saw this more so just in my later years as i've been picking up not that i grew up any sort of like weird religious where i wasn't able to watch movies of certain types or like whatever you know that might also just you know restrict you to be able to watch stuff but like really i i I'm so glad that I found this movie, though, because I also have not, well, 
not also i have not seen the first movie from 1991 which we'll talk a little bit about because we kind of have to talk about it a little bit um but you know I, I just like this movie a little bit more for its camp value um because off the top it is the campiest one it has to be you know but wait, yeah so wait, you've never seen the first one did i hear that correctly that's correct i have not seen it i know it has uh besides the grandmother everybody else is like the same but like you know uh and i think it has to do well we'll get into the the, what the movie is kind of about but like you know uh but yeah i'd never really seen it it just never really interested me i guess and not that i was like that or like the monsters like i wasn't like that person who watched like the old television show or even like watched the monsters a ton you know i think i was tangentially aware of them maybe i'd catch it every so often but it wasn't like um i think more so weirdly enough and this this makes no sense but also the most sense where really honestly i think i probably watched more brady bunch than i did something like the adams family or the monsters um <laughs> because why not uh which is probably why i love those brady bunch movies like a lot like a lot a lot um which is very interesting because i have that but then also i'm such a horror head too it's like well why wouldn't i have watched these back then <laughs> but i don't know man it's so weird but uh but yeah that's like kind of my history but like again i'm so glad i have this movie and i'm so glad i'm like able to talk about it and all this stuff because it really is just like the art of doing a sequel so well do you know what i mean um yeah. and where it can stand on its own you know and and i think that yeah I, I i that's just what i think about it really um do you have anything else to add about that or anything like that before we start to move into anything about like what happened with the atoms and how did they come to be um i guess nothing really to add right now that there's um of course excited to talk about some of the iconic scenes from mm -hmm. it um i was also trying to think when it comes to the cast cast like maybe i didn't see this when it first came out and because raul julia was in street fighter you know and i was one of those kids yes. that grew up in all those like martial art movies and like surf ninja three ninjas street fighter the mortal combats and um mm -hmm. i was like oh like, there's that guy and he's in this movie and like i like this movie so i like that movie so right uh no but lo love let's get into chatting about this <laughs> this wonderful also movie and yes of course also i will say that i guess i will have to go back at some point and actually watch the first one because i know it is on paramount so i probably can watch it pretty easily but i will make it a point to do that and then we will talk on instagram about it i'll be like yeah, hey I this movie sucked or oh this movie was actually really good <laughs> like, or whatever it's, it's really good and i definitely think there's like two camps of people like those who like saw the second one first love it and then you know enjoy the first one and i enjoy the first right. one for sure um but then i think i know there are people who saw the first one first and they love it and right. you know, the sequel is the sequel but yes yeah so. yeah i think it's like similar weirdly enough and we will talk a little bit about it just like how it kind of shaped other movies that came after it but like yeah the same kind of argument i think can also be said for literally the brady bunch movies where like we all pretend the third one doesn't exist okay because there was a third one it was a tv movie um it's really bad uh but the first two of those there's people who are like oh my god the second one's way better because it's a lot more campier i guess but then like you also have people like me who i'm just like no both of them are cinematic pieces of art like literally they're so good like so funny so silly like perfect anyway 
but yeah well, but yeah disclosure i have not seen either of the brady bunch movies so hopefully i don't that doesn't get me kicked off of this podcast it's ASAP. been it's been so nice talking to you travis but i think we're gonna have to end this goodbye Toodles. everybody <laughs> no, oh god you you need to watch them if you at all were interested in the brady's or any of that kind of stuff or it just had a cursory understanding of them those movies are just chef's kiss really Enough about those uh, 70s fuckers. We're going to get into these fuckers, okay? Uh, so we have uh, the Adam's Feeling Values film. This came out uh, November 19th of 1993. So a couple days uh, you know, before this, when you're hearing this today, is when it would have been released. Um, actually, I guess, technically, it is uh, just turned... God damn, what is it now? Uh, it's just turned 30, I guess. So happy birthday, Adam's Family Values. I didn't even plan that. Oh. Look happy, at me. happy birthday indeed um, yes. wow, so many movies that are celebrating 30 years this year isn't That's it crazy wild i know oh god anyway but yeah i didn't even plan that out that's wonderful uh this is about a runtime of 94 minutes this budget is 47 million dollars um which is crazy um we could talk a little bit about the first movie and how that kind of comes into it as well uh and this is also a paramount movie so if you have paramount plus slash showtime i guess like you might be able to watch it because it might be on there uh because it's we're recording in spooky season you're hearing this the next month after but uh i'm sure you can find it somewhere um, this should just be a staple in anyone's dvd blu-ray movie collection so i i would say just go buy it. you can probably get the two-pack like i'm sure I probably yeah i have the two-pack of the brady bunch movie so there's probably a two-pack of this as well so i would i would venture to say um yeah but opening weekend ranking gross this was actually at number one uh the weekend it came out with 14 million one hundred and seventeen thousand five hundred and forty five dollars um and then overall it made about uh 48 million nine hundred and nineteen thousand uh forty three dollars kind of a thing so overall i mean uh, well <laughs> uh kind of bombed at the box office technically if you want to talk that way um however though i think this movie actually did a little bit better critically um if i'm not mistaken i believe this was nominated for an oscar in some way and i don't even think i'm making that up i think that's actual reality uh academy award i know it was um yeah up for for best art direction yes that's what it was it did not win unfortunately what a tragedy yeah and then Ugh. angelica houston was also nominated for golden globe for best actress i love in that yeah musical picture mm -hmm. comedy. yeah for comedy yes yes but yeah so we're looking at about like i think around a 74 percent or 75 percent on rotten tomatoes or so which is the critic score um and then the audience score i'm looking that up right now actually um because yeah i think critics actually did kind of like this movie they were like oh actually it's pretty decent um yeah 75 percent on rotten tomatoes and then what was this other one i want to see what the audience has thought of it 63%. So actually, audiences are like so so about it, I guess. Uh, this is based off of about a quarter of a million ratings from people. Um, but the 75%, it's a certified fresh technically. Uh, and that's off of like 114 reviews from critics. So that's cool. Uh, love that for them. But yeah, so I mean, it's a little bit about that. And then also, wait a minute on Letterboxd, like I always see what the I guess see what the people on Letterboxd think of this too, because I feel like that's also telling of like how a movie is. Um, 
I just watched this actually for uh, a movie starring your crush. And we'll talk about that in, you know, later detail. But uh, this is about 3.7 out of five, I guess, on um, Letterboxd. So the people have spoken and I think they tend to enjoy this. But yeah. Man, this person thinks it's a five star film, but I don't, I don't use Letterboxd yes. the way everybody else seems to use it. <laughs> I, either, I either love it, like it, or I hate it. Well, mm, not hate sure. it, but like didn't like it or didn't love it so i'm like if i love it it's five stars with the little like all the things if i liked it i just like it and then if not i don't but yeah that's fair yeah that's fair um but yeah so we talk about the cast and crew of the movie in a little bit uh so we have barry sonnefeld who is the director of this movie he also directed the first movie as well um but he also did a little movie called men in black i don't know if you've heard of it um did that film also did wild wild west which uh fun thing because i think it is turning 30 next year i might also be covering on the podcast next year so be look up for that will smith uh being in a west hell yeah uh but anyway so i've never seen that i've never seen i haven't either (laughs) i haven't either so we'll see how that goes but anyway then we have uh i will also say uh i don't talk about the producers or anything this is a uh scott rudin production boo gross horrid he's also gay too so that makes it worse i talked about um it, earlier uh, in October, I talked about uh, Trick or Treat, lovely, wonderful episode, lovely movie. Um, but boo, Brian Singer, hate you. You know, it, it makes it worse when you're a gay person where you're just like, we don't claim these people. Just see so him, Kevin Spacey, none of these people. We all think they're trash. Okay. Like, just saying. And that's right. I'm speaking for all the gays out there, all clear, <laughs> everybody. Um, but yeah, anyway, but Scott Rudin, eh, okay. He produced a lot of stuff, so whatever. Um, but Paul Rudnick is the guy who actually did this. Love that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he is an openly gay man. So that's one win, at least. <laughs> one win. Um, he, of course, is the writer who I think went uncredited, went under a pseudonym, but he is the guy who technically wrote, or partly wrote, uh, Sister Act, which is cool. Um he also did the movie Jeffrey, which I just recently watched. It's on Peacock. Uh, it's kind of fun. It has Steven Weber in it and um, a couple different people in it. It's a fun little movie. Uh, it's based off of a play. In and Out. Have you ever seen In and Out, Travis, with Clevin Klein in it and Joan Cusack? Oh, I've, I've not. But I, I highly enjoy uh, Sister Act and Sister Act 2. <laughs> oh, don't worry, because we're also a uh, little teaser, everybody. We might be doing Sister Act 2 on the podcast soon. So that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, um, but he did uh, in and out. I think in and out is so fun. Um, so the basic idea is that Kevin, Cl- you know who Kevin Klein is, right? Oh, he is from a uh, fish called Wanda. Um, and he is anyway, he's this guy. He won an Academy Award um, and he plays a, a teacher in a small town in uh, Illinois or Indiana, Indiana. Um, his student who is played by matt damon or one of those people matt Matt dylan i think yeah 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 um joan cusack is his like fiance and what ends up happening spoiler alert for in and out i guess but not really it's the whole point of the movie matt dylan uh says that his uh his english teacher played by kevin klein is gay at the oscars after he was an oscar and then everyone's like oh no oh my god like mr uh whatever his name is is gay or whatever and then he's like oh wait no i'm not but 
It's just so funny. Uh, literally, Joan Cusack was nominated for an Oscar for it. Um, I think she should have won. I think she's fabulous, but she's not Debbie Jelinski fabulous in that movie, but she is pretty good. I really do like her. Um, but yeah, go check out in and, in and out, everybody. It's so fun. So silly and lovely. Kind of a first movie for, uh, Lauren Ambrose from Yellow Jackets and Six Feet Under and all that. Alexander Holden as well. Um, so many icons. Uh, Sean Hatosi from uh, The Faculty. He's in it. He's one of his students. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. Icon. Iconic movie. Love it. I'll probably cover it at some point. Uh, he also did adding, it. I don't know if you... I'm adding it to my list. Just I'm, I'm adding Please it to do. my list. Please do. <laughs> it's it's a fun gay movie. Tom Selleck is there. I, I, this is an in-and-out minute, but it's fine. Uh, yeah. He also did the really, really horrible Stepford Wives remake, uh, which... Have you ever seen that movie? Ever? Nope. I, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> um, I feel like I've seen about like 10 movies, and I've just watched them on repeat for years that's, and years. That's and fine. Years, that's, so. that's apropos. That really makes sense. Uh, that was a Frank Oz movie. Also, Frank Oz directed... Um, in and out as well he worked with paul rudnick a couple times but uh who apparently uh, apparently scott rudnick is fine uh frank oz is not the best of directors from what i've heard um whatever but that's stuff where every that's stuff wise remake sucked but it's a different take on the story it's a lot more comedic than the original is so i don't know what the hell they were going for but okay nicole kidman's there that's fun um on nicole heartbreak feels good in a place like this um but yeah so that's the writer and director then the composer is mark shaman i don't know if you ever heard of him yeah you know he only has like literal tonys and like you know like kind of is very known for broadway and music and everything like that i'm a big fan of the score but you know Mm -hmm. i'm terrible about keeping up with composers the big yeah. ones that have done like all the movies like with danny elfman for example yes so. right right um so mark shaman he is the guy who he's done quite a bit he is the guy who did the music for misery um stephen king um he also did the first wives club as well he was that guy um he did the south park movie being bigger longer and uncut he also did that so he gave us i'm sure was the one who wrote kyle's mom's a bitch and blame canada and all those fire things uh but he also did uh hairspray he was the one who um did all of the music for the hairspray musical and um him and uh, mark platt who is i believe ben platt's literal father <laughs> anyway but uh yeah so they literally won a tony for doing that music and everything i think they also did avenue q if i'm not mistaken all that kind of stuff if I'm not mistaken, I feel like they did the Book of Mormon too. I mean, again, please pull me up on all of these things if I'm wrong, but I feel like he probably did that like at some point. Or I think it was that one of the guys from Avenue Q ended up doing the music for Book of Mormon. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Whatever. Anyway, fact check me all you want, because I don't do that research up in here, okay? Half the time. Um. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And then our cinematographer is Donald Peterman. He is the same guy who did When a Stranger Calls. He shot that movie with Carol Kane, who is also in this movie. Fun fact. Uh, Flashdance with Kevin Bacon. Um, he also shot that. Uh, he also shot Men in Black. So he has also worked with Barry Sonnefeld again, uh, which you'll kind of see as sort of a little bit of a, a little bit of a pattern um and then he also did how the grinch stole christmas which is kind of fun too so he also shot that as well 
And then we have a duo. Um, we have a duo editing this movie. So we have Arthur Schmidt and Jim Miller. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of these credits that I'm going to be listing are from um, Mr. Mr. Schmidt. Uh, but so he did a lot of like, um, and again, this makes sense for, for this. You know, he did Jaws 2. He did a lot of the Back to the Future movies um, as well. He edited a lot of those. Um, he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He did Forrest Gump. Um, so Arthur Schmidt was very much, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was the one who who did a lot of those movies who edited them. Again, Jim Miller, I think he had like a kind of, I think he came maybe from Barry Sonnefeld's like kind of camp, if you will. Um, and he has done things with him since then. Uh, but yeah, uh, Arthur Schmidt definitely did quite a bit. Um, a lot of prolific stuff that people are, you know, and again, it all ties back to these movies sometimes. Cause you're like, Oh, Christopher Lloyd's in this movie. He was also literally a back to the future. So like, <laughs> like looking at, looking at Arthur's list of movies as an editor, like you said, he was from Roger Rabbit, back to the future. Love those. Death becomes her. Uh, the bird oh, yeah. cage i mean so Everything. many so many fun movies yeah and Christopher makes Roy, sense. Ju- judge doom like judge doom is like part of my personal style <laughs> and, <laughs> inspiration so i love that for you i do joanna cassie just in general is part of my just wanting to be that style um just specifically uh but you know it's all good and then of course the actors in this movie so you have it's interesting because in this movie again i haven't seen the first one so the second one you have the adams the family themselves but then you also have like the campers as well and not even campers like the camp staff and stuff like that um which are really just uh peter mcnichol and christine baranski um which honestly this movie just having christine baranski in it deserves a three uh stars no matter what for anything I'm, so I'm so glad you're bringing that up because upon like this rewatch, I love her character. And this is one of the first times I mean, where like, I, I did the rewatch with, with my headphones on, on my iPads, trying to take notes. And yeah, just yeah. like, it's just so much about her. I'm like, she just pops off the screen. <laughs> like you already like, like off the her. rip, off the rip, three stars, period three three out of five at least just for having christine baranski there this movie is also like a four and a half five for me like it's really fun and great um but like no just having christine baranski three so birdcage three you know jeffrey three she's in there for like a little bit so it's oh, she's such an icon i love her so much <laughs> anyway. and, and like and her zaniness i feel like oh my god i, I make it sound as if like i'm like a part of these huge circles which i'm not but like i guess i just really come to a, appreciate like what she does for that character and how she oh, yes. like, can match um like is it peter mcnichol i think it's, like, I think it's peter mcnichol yeah if i'm not mistaken let me see if i can get his name wrong wait a minute i'm pre- it's peter something i'm almost certain it's peter mcnichol like let me just yeah, peter as 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 gary but like there we go yeah it's own level of zaniness but like she like she's like holds her own it's but, perfect there's something about her where it's just like the way she delivers things like um her whether you like it or not like the way she executes that quote like i've said that quote (laughs) in like real life at various points it's legit perfect (laughs) put it like literally just put it in a museum it's fucking amazing it's so good yeah and the facial expression when she delivers it oh love it yeah it's so good uh but back to the other cast members as well so with the adams family actually so you have like um 
and funny enough, like I, I didn't share this with you, uh, Travis, because I just ran out of time. But uh, I have my document that I kind of keep all this stuff together with. So like a lot of my stuff is just like, you know, okay, Angelica Houston. I could literally just put like for their other quiet credits. I'm like, she's Angelica Houston. Like, do I have to explain? Like, you know, but of course, Angelica Houston, he, she was in The Witches. Um, she either has won or nominated for an Academy Award for at least something, if if not already won one, actually. Uh, I mean, she's amazing. And she's Angelica Houston. Come on. Like, you know, she plays Morticia. Uh, as you said, Raul Julia, who unfortunately passed away not too long after this film, he was in, um, you said Street Fighter. He was in different also action movies, I think, as well. And he originated this role of in the movies, which is great, too, which I think he will very well be known for for obviously the rest of you know existence if you will because <laughs> he does such a good job i think as well um oh, yeah. and i think like when it comes to like the atoms there's been so many iterations at this point now right oh, like, yeah. this yeah. tv show these movies what wednesday was mm-hmm. now a thing the animated and like right right Raul and and um angelica like they they are my gomez and morticia Adam. absolutely like, that's who i think of like, like i'm absolutely. That, that group that's not to say that no one else is doing a fantastic job. They of right. course are, but like I love them, and that's why they are the, like the tattoos yeah. on my leg. So. Oh, completely, yes, absolutely, and and really, truly, it makes total sense. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the TV show and a few things like that as well. Uh, but yeah, and then Christopher Lloyd, of course. So um, he is. I okay. This is another thing. I have not watched the Back to the Future movies. Okay, I just haven't done it. So I know he's Doc technically. So there's that. He will always be the guy from Clue for me because I love that movie. So nice. obviously, like he has to be like uh, that. He's just that. But I mean, he's very prolific, very known, you know. And he does Fester. And it's funny because people are like, wait, Christopher Lloyd's in this movie? I'm like, yeah, he plays Fester in both of the movies. Like, <laughs> that is him. Like, and people are like, wait, what? <laughs> Again, I think he seems like a talented actor, yeah, even though I haven't seen a ton of his work. But, you know, um, but yeah, definitely like Christopher Lloyd, big name. Joan Cusack, I mean, again, she's Joan Cusack. Like, from being the one girl that Long Duck Dong was into in 16 Candles to being oscar nominated at least twice now which is amazing um she's had such a great career and uh, we'll talk about debbie because she is the absolute shining example in this movie uh of what kind of i feel like she knows what film she's in do you know what i mean and i think that's what's perfect about her um but yeah joan cusack plays debbie in this movie i and i love her you know she's an in and out like i said she was in a disney movie she's been an ice princess with michelle trachtenberg and just like everything and i want to see her in more stuff and ageism in hollywood sucks you know and also like misogyny in hollywood sucks too i'm sure as well oh god she's such an icon though i love her and her brother's not too bad either I would love to see her get pulled into the Chucky universe. You know what? Like, like I love that series, love that TV series of the movies and would just love to see her come in. And even if it was like, like going toe to toe um, with Jennifer Tilly or just something, I feel like, you know, she did Debbie, like that type of character would be so much fun. I absolutely can agree with you on that, Travis, because like, I think she plays so well, these kind of like over the top ish characters in a way. And I, I really do like that. So, oh my God, Tommy and get on it. Come on. What are we doing? Come on. Let's 
move and shake, you know? And again, also, so Christina Ricci, she is in this movie as Wednesday. She originated the role in the movies. Again, she's literal Christina Ricci. Like, come on. Yellow Jackets, um, Now and Then. I know her from Now and Then. I love her in that movie. I think she's so good. Have you ever seen Now and Then? No, but I, I love her in Casper. As a kid. Oh, yes, so. of course. Yeah. I mean, that's probably where I first actually, you know what? I take back my thing I said earlier. That's how I knew her. What the hell am I? What's wrong with me? Like, come on now. Um, but yeah, I mean, but like Cursed, which is like a bad movie, but kind of great though. <laughs> like, you know, I watched this. Uh, I won't say it's awful because it might be great for some people. I watched her in a movie called Pumpkin. Have you ever heard of this movie? No, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it it's just it's a movie where she plays a sorority sister who falls in love with a developmentally disabled person i think who is like again differently abled so oh, i don't know it's not that good of a movie to be honest but she's cool i like her it's kind of over the top in camp a little bit but like it feels like a weird john waters movie honestly kind of sort of but not as good unfortunately oops oh anyway but anyway well, so yeah I'm, I'm sure it's still worth checking out right like a group of people worked hard on it sure. so should, sure. should at least see if that is up for their, their taste wonder wonderful diplomatic answer from you i do appreciate that <laughs> um carol kane's in this movie she actually replaced uh judith molina from the first movie for whatever reason carol kane icon legend i mean what it when a stranger calls uh she was in the unbreakable kimmy schmidt um, on that tv show i will always know her as miss sherwood from jawbreaker like she will always be that to me um <laughs> obviously oh my god well we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. it we'll talk about it um <laughs> there's that i mean so she did but do you know about judith molina do you know a little bit about her and what her kind of life was a little bit no i'm i'm not I'm not up. So, so she played. So she played um, the original Granny in um, this, you know, first film that they did. Um, but she was also. So she's since passed away, I believe. Uh, but she was actually fun little fact. Um, she's grandma, but um, she was in like Dog Day Afternoon, Awakenings, things like that. But do you know who her husband was? Have you ever seen Poltergeist Two? Maybe like once, like that. The first one, like terrified me as a kid mm -hmm. so um, so poltergeist 2 has the um guy he's kane he's the preacher guy and god is in his holy temple you ever hear about that or see it maybe i didn't see that one i i tell you yeah. before disclosure like for many many years as a kid like didn't watch horror mm -hmm. was like i mean i was a kid that was like terrified of the haunted mansion at disney world which in hindsight okay. it's like like come on kid like get it that's together fair. It's, it's, that's fair this is well this is a, a fun ride the guy who the guy who did that was julian beck who was actually actively dying of cancer at the time they shot that unfortunately he's like an icon in the horror community like of doing that that role and that was his he was literally they were married uh funny enough this is also kind of getting into the queer of it i think also julian beck was a little queer he was kind of bisexual i believe so it's interesting he ended up marrying you know judith molina of course um and they were long-term partners but i just think it's really interesting that like you know kind of throws into there but yes the first grandmother uh in the adam's movie that is that is her and she got replaced unfortunately 
um i'm sure she does a good job again i have to actually watch that movie so you know and then of course um i mean we talked about like christine varansky of course and uh, mercedes mcnab playing amanda and all that but um <clears throat> there's a certain young man who's now an older man in a way um who is my husband uh david crumholtz oh god i uh, <laughs> well let's just turn it to like the david crumholtz appreciation hour i don't know um, i like how you're glowing when you started talking uh, about him <laughs> i just i love him like i just i think what it was is like the santa claus because i watched that movie when i was a kid and santa claus 2 and stuff and i um god i he just did something for me as a kid where i was like wow he's like attractive to me you know and I didn't know that he was in this movie for the longest time and then finding out like, you know, okay, so he's this kid, Joel Glicker, but he is also obviously Bernard for the Santa Claus and the other Santa Claus movies. He is Michael in 10 things I hate about you. The guy who, um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt meets for the first time at the school. Um, he was in numbers. He was just an Oppenheimer. That's fun. You know? So like, <laughs> you know, um, Yeah. But I mean, uh, God, he's my husband in my head. I love him. I would hope, I would hope that he knows, even though he's an absolute straight man with children, I would hope that he knows that there are a certain subsect of um, young gay men who just are attracted to him. And I hope he embraces that and appreciates it. Really, honestly, I, I mean, I would hope that too. I would hope that for anybody, right? I mean, like, how can you not really? feel appreciated? knowing that someone really admires you like that but, yeah and that you were an yeah. awakening for me david crumholtz so i mean there you go i mean nothing else to say about that really um he's my husband so i have to be a good spouse to him uh i i, you know. I have to admit i'm embarrassed to say i didn't realize he was the dude from santa claus until like way later in life because he was That's just fair. one of those actors that i didn't like keep up with and it, I fair. feel like my my Adams family versus like my Santa Claus. Like, That's fair. I just never put like put it together, and I was like, "Oh, he's that dude. Cool. He is that dude." <laughs> Which is weird because that was only like two years after this movie. Like literally, like he wasn't. He looks kind of young in this movie, and then in the Santa Claus, he looks older. Which is just so oh, yeah. to mind fuck weirdly, but. I don't know. The puberty can do a number on you, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm still trying. I'm still waiting to hit it. You know, it's fine. <laughs> um, but you know, whatever. But uh, yeah. But that's that's that. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit of our cast and crew and anything. Do you have anybody else that you want to kind of shout out with, like this cast or anything that you could think of? Uh, I mean, no one really to shout out. Uh, I mean, I just I'm glad we have to talk about Christine Baranski a little bit because again, oh. she's. Like what a standout! Amazing. It, it just wasn't, I guess, at the forefront of my mind from other viewings of it. She's just right. like so, so like into the role. She's kind of what I I would equate her to being like the bass in a band, right? Like she's been that part of it where like a, sure the bass is there. It's just it's holding down things, you know, and like that's just how awesome she's like that's how awesome she's doing with her her acting mm. and playing the character. So absolutely absolutely and you know and then it's also fun with like again mercedes mcnab playing amanda barry sonnefeld the director plays joel's dad which is kind of fun like that's just like he's just like the put upon like jewish father like you know that's fair <laughs> oh i do have this is like a i don't even remember the dude's name but this is like a, a small thing but amanda's dad 
the actor's yes. name I'm blanking on. He goes on to play the dad in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yes, he um, absolutely he's does. Dad. <laughs> and he's um he also went on to be in mom. Like, I love my husband and I have been re-watching oh, nice. not re-watching, like watching mom for the first time. So like seeing him, like, oh, there's that dude from you know different iconic roles. Yes, he's amazing. He is uh, I'm looking it up right now. I got the Google right in front of me. Hold on, wait a minute. Who is this guy? Wait a minute, what the hell is his name? Like, where the hell is he? Oh my god. Sam McMurray is who you're talking about. Yeah, that's it. He's amazing. He is Lester Lehman, that's correct. And do you like mom? I have never watched that show. Is it actually worth watching? Oh, I I rave about mom to everybody. Like Anna Ferris, amazing. Similarly to I do that with Shits Creek to everybody I watch, um, to Love everyone I, I run into. Um, okay, so mom is actually decent. It, it's not like the stupid like no no hate but like big bang theory i don't think it's that funny but uh yeah, like, okay so mom is actually actually good okay, like, great. love mom allison janney uh, her character isn't exactly like her character from um drop dead gorgeous but like her Anna Ferris, the whole i mean the whole cast i mean just not I mean, an really? exaggeration to say i'm literally laughing out loud pretty much every episode go or just- go check it out it's a blast. Just having, just having the duo that is Oscar award winning Allison Janney. She had a big ass then. She has a big ass now. Uh, can one of you boys give me a ride home? Don't fall for it. She lives two trailers down. So it'll be real easy. Um, sick. Jesus. And like her and I, Tanya, is also really good too. But oh, anyway. Uh, and then Anna Ferris, just being Anna Ferris. Also, fuck Chris Pratt fuck him forever hate him um you know it was his fault you know you already know it was his fault you already know like how do you divorce that like how how i'm not even into women and i would never divorce anna ferris ever yeah cheers big up to anna ferris but i i do want to add mimi kennedy Uh, is also in mom and i love mimi kennedy from dharma and greg again kid raised on 90s sitcoms but um now we're now we're kind of like no, really we're, we're like way off base from from adam's family oh, absolutely fine, right? no it's totally fine. anybody <laughs> absolutely this show has no uh, semblance of a plot whatsoever and that's fine with me um but yeah those are like kind of the standouts oh and then like nathan lane's in this movie which is really fun like he just has a little cameo in it like you know just like oh, random I'm, shit dude i'm glad you said that i have a like, burned in memory as a kid of uh-huh. seeing it and being like Oh, that's Timon's voice. Like, yes. holy smokes, that's like what Timon looks like from the Lion King. So Right. And then yeah. of course he and um he and uh Christy Baranski would then partner back up in the the birdcage, bird of course. Cage, yeah. Amazing. So I mean God, so so good. Also, if you didn't already know, Lurch, um Lurch is also cool. Um he's also a part of the family in some way. Um he is actually uh don't know if people want to watch this on Netflix, but uh, he is actually the villain, I guess, in um, the adaptation of Gerald's Game on Netflix with um, the mom from the Spy Kids movies. Uh, I don't remember her name, um, but uh, that's her. And they, they adapted that book into the movie, and he plays because that fucker's like tall and like kind of weird looking. No offense, but like it's true. Um, but yeah, so it, it's. It, it, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. But anyway, so enough with the cast because we could really just keep going about it. Um, but yeah, it's fine with me. Uh, but we, we want to talk a little bit though, I think about, all right. So the Adam Stanley, like how did this 
come to be really um now of course this is a sequel so we will talk a little bit about the first movie and you may have some in- um information about that travis just because you have seen it um but i'm just pulling this information um so we got to talk a little bit about a man named charles adams uh you know talking about this this whole series um so he started his career as a cartoonist for the new yorker a uh, very fancy publication you know um he did a sketch of a window washer that ran um in february 6th of 1932 so he started off as a cartoonist and the first adams family cartoon was published in 1938 in the new yorker um, it was a one panel little gag thing. Um, so really it just started off as kind of like, you know, like Blondie, Dennis the Menace, insert whatever other peanuts, you know what I mean? Like the fact that they haven't done like a peanuts movie also is like weird to me. Like, why have they not done a live action one of it? I'm surprised kind of at this point, but who knows? Um, you just got to manifest that. You got to, if you want that, you got to start manifesting it. I know. Like, I'm just surprised since they're rebooting every fucking thing else, but whatever. Um, he became a regular contributor to the New Yorker and he drew about 1300 cartoons for them uh, between then and his death in 1958. And so 58 of these um, 1300 cartoons uh, would feature the Adams family which are all done around 1940s 1950s um he also like uh did a couple different like um cartoons as well um most notably he did this thing called uh dear dead days a family album um so like pretty much what happened though is that after the television show launched they pretty much were like you can't run these cartoons anymore because now this is owned by like a studio i guess because isn't hollywood fun um but anyway uh but yeah also ray bradbury kind of got involved with like um doing a similar thing as well to the adams kind of sort of um so ray bradbury plagiarizing not really he's dead now but like whatever um but yeah no so that's talking about just like the baseline of pretty much this started out as literally like the peanuts cartoon like in a comic strip and it was in the new yorker and for some god knows what reason um they decided in 1960 i guess really because um i would venture to say and i don't know if you have any thoughts on this either travis but i would venture to say that you know after the advent of television and all of this kind of stuff, like I would think that you're just trying to figure out things that you can either adapt or turn into a television show. And so for something like the Adams family, it kind of makes sense to like take something, which is why like I, you know, Dennis the menace and the peanuts, obviously, and stuff like that um, then turned into a, a television show. Do you have anything to kind of add from that of any sort of research you may have done of like, why did the TV show come to be? <laughs> I mean, not, not really anything from my like research, but it, I think as a creative, when you got to try new media, you know, to mm-hmm. make it a little bit easier for yourself, sometimes like, why not try to like, take a thing that already exists and see if it can then work in this new space in this new space. So sure. it's not surprising to me that you know they would leverage mm-hmm. the comic strip and, and yeah. turn it into, into a television show. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, that's the only thing I could think about why there would be a TV show. Uh, Cause you do have to talk about the TV show where you talk about the Adams a little bit. Um, also, there is something to be said with 
somehow, some way, and again, and this is not a Munsters podcast or anything either, but uh, the fact that you have the Adams family and the Munsters that came out almost at the same time, really, uh, is just like, okay, fair enough. This this is fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know how that came to be. I don't know about the Munsters necessarily. Um, did you ever watch the Munsters when you were a kid or anything like that? Or you kind of were more I, Adams I, family? So I was a, I was a big fan of the Monsters TV show as a kid. But I'm trying to think like it, obviously that aired originally before I existed, <laughs> um, right? But but you know loved it. I did, I think not. I guess without get, trying to get too deep, but you know anytime where it was like this like other type family or whatever, right? Like yeah. the Monsters and the Adams family, like they're they're this macabre family, whatever, but it's just mm-hmm. like, it's their way of life to them. Like, it just is what it is. And like the outside world just doesn't get it at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that was one of the things that just drew me to these properties where, yeah. you know, especially as a queer person, right? Like you kind of feel like yeah. you're other, you're different, et cetera, but it's just so normal to me. So, um, yeah. yeah. So a little soapbox moment there, but, uh, yeah, love the monsters. Um, and I think because I didn't have a, a movie, at the time i gave the, the monsters the grace that i did um mm-hmm. where i like of course having the, the the movies for adam's family i was like well i'm not i'm not watching <laughs> the tv show mm-hmm, right so but i have since gone on to watch the tv show it is fantastic so mm-hmm. yeah and of course that's um so that would be uh john Aston, who is the one who um <clears throat> who did gomez on the tv show carolyn jones playing morticia as well um john Aston is i think from baltimore or lived or is either from here or something like that he went to johns hopkins down the city so that's cool um and then also carolyn jones i just watched her a couple days ago in invasion of the body snatcher she's in that movie um and just being an icon in general she's morticia of course uh but yeah i mean yeah i mean this movie really like from what i can kind of gather so um again it's a sequel so the first movie I really think it probably came from similarly to something like the Brady Bunch movie. I think this show in particular was put into syndication and because it got syndicated to the point it did where people just kind of knew what the Adam Stanley was, even though it only, I think it was only on, like it wasn't on for a long time. It was only on for two seasons. You know what I mean? Like it was kind of popular, but like it wasn't, it didn't go forever you know what i mean so it's like but it feels like it did because you know it was on television for a while that's you the, know that's the power of syndication right you're like oh this yeah is, like so many and it's like oh really yeah I mean, no totally same way. It- yeah yeah totally i mean you know um it just came out of syndication um like in the 70s they did like a little crossover with um scooby-doo cartoons like where they had that as well kind of sort of um yeah it was just trying to breathe life into this stuff as well um the franchise did kind of go dead in the 80s a little bit um as well um but apparently the retirement of william sean who was a guy who worked at uh the new yorker i guess he owned it or something um it allowed a little bit of a brief return of the New Yorker um, cartoons, um, even though Charles Adams died not too long, you know, after that, really. Um, but yeah, but yeah, talking about this first film, though, uh, not that this is really a big thing about this 
first film or anything. Um, but if anything, it's important to note that I think because of this popularity that came from, you know, people watching this movie a little bit, being aware of it, um, that's how the movie got to be. But also, uh, this first movie had a bit of a troubled history. Uh, do you know anything about this? Because I'll just also just talk about it. But if you knew anything about it at all, since you have seen it. Um, the troubled history, I the only thing I really remember is the, it had to do with Fester. And how like mm-hmm. Christina Ricci and the, the the cast was like, yo, you need to like speak for the cast and have Fester. I guess spoiler mm-hmm. alert, like have sure. Fester like be the real Fester um, and not like some make believe thing. So yeah, I know that was like with the story uh, in terms of the first movie and how it would end. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so pretty much like this production, um, what happened was it was developed um, at Orion Pictures, which I'm pretty sure. Um, they were they distributed the first movie if i'm not mistaken but then paramount took this and they ended up produce you know releasing it um the first movie went five million dollars over budget um due to constant rewrites during shooting um so that's fun uh also there were some health problems of people who were involved um that's raul julia he was going through some things with his health at the time um so that also kind of compounded and just overwhelm and uh, just a overall kind of stressed filming uh with Son- um Sonnefeld. you know he had done stuff before but i think this just it really delayed a lot of stuff um so the production costs of this movie i mean like it went from 25 million dollars initially to then it went to 30 million dollars of a budget um which isn't exactly good <laughs> um and also orion pictures uh you know they're i don't even think are around anymore but uh they had made flop after flop and that's not good when you have a studio because <laughs> you need to have Got some it. money coming in gotta make um, that coin right you do have to make some coin otherwise you're going to be like vestron pictures or something like that um they decided to actually so orion started that first movie but then um actually gave it to paramount who then completed it and handled the distribution of it so i was actually wrong they both these are both paramount movies uh, but they but it started off as an orion movie though but then orion um did also distribute the film internationally through columbia pictures so um yep. and again I, I think they're out of business now but again it's one of those things but this movie actually did make a whole lot of money which was great <laughs> lovely which is why they pretty much got a sequel actually um but yeah, I guess really from what I gather, Scott Rudin, ugh, um, he just pitched an idea to the studio being like, Hey, let's make a movie based off of this. So it really just came from like, let's do it. Um, and the studio thought that the cartoons would make a good movie and, uh, Fox would ultimately not make the movie though. Um, Orion who already owned the rights to the Adams family wouldn't sell the property as they were trying to do a TV show actually as well. Um, so again, this is a little bit of history on the first movie, but it's good to know, just good to have. Um, and also property rights, not the same thing, but like kind of like Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> like, you know how like, um, uh, Dracula, Dracula <laughs> Stoker's wife owned the rights after he died, which is why the whole thing with Nosferatu happened of like, you know, you can't make this movie because it's pretty much Dracula, but like, I'm not yep. letting you these rights. Um, I don't think the same thing happened, but again, this was owned by, um, Charles Adams is, you know, wife. Um, so again, I think that 
whoever ended up getting the rights, I think there was a little bit of a battle with that. Um, because again, I mean, it's one of those things where what the hell do you do? Like, like you're trying to make this movie or you're trying to do this, um, maybe do a reboot TV show, which they ended up doing anyway, really. Um, but I think those actually, if I'm not mistaken, came after these movies came out. So, like, you know, what do we know? Right. I, but uh, I remember the cartoon. Like, there was a cartoon for a while. Oh, yes. Yes, um, there was. You're right. Yeah, you're definitely right. Um, but yeah, no, I think a lot of that just happened. Again, a lot of this information you can find online, um, pretty much, <laughs> of like the troubled history that this had. Um, which is crazy because again, people sometimes really like that first movie, and that's awesome. Good for them. Well, um one real quick, one thing that was mm-hmm. interesting to learn, um, you know, we forgot uh Tim Burton, of all people, you know, was approached yes. to direct the first film and you know had said thanks, but no thanks. Um, mm-hmm. and obviously that's a full circle moment for Tim now being a part of the Wednesday TV mm-hmm. show. So um that's right. you know, it's interesting. Like, just to kind of think like, like, I wonder what that would have looked like way back, back in the day. As I in don't the 90s. know. Yeah. I so. mean, like, yeah, no, totally. I, I do kind of wonder that sometimes too, where it's like, you know, how would that have been? And it, it would have been a different film perhaps, you know, but I think it would have fit in his wheelhouse if anything. Um, so yeah, no, totally. Um, but the basic idea, so we're actually getting to the film we're talking about now, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think, uh, this movie really just came from the fact that the first one made a buttload of money, you know, against all odds. And, uh, yeah, they were like, let's, let's do a sequel. Why not? Um, so <clears throat> that's all fun and dandy. Um, and again, you know, the writer of this movie, if I'm not mistaken, again, it was written by Paul Rudnick. So he was already aware of the first movie anyway. So he just kind of kept it moving and pushing, which is good. Um, not too much interesting history about this movie that I can think uh, in terms of just like uh, production history. Uh, the movie itself, the name of the movie uh, is actually a little bit of a play on... Um, a speech that was made by Dan Quayle in 1992, which was reflections on urban America, where he talks about um, how he blamed the uh, 1992 Los Angeles riots on a breakdown of quote family values. Um, Cause you know, that's why that's exactly why um, LA rioted. That's why the LA riots happened. Absolutely. Uh, what do we know? You know, uh, not systematic racism or pre-release brutality or any of those kinds of things. Uh, no, a breakdown of family values. Absolutely. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. it's so dumb. Like, I, anyway. So, yeah, but this, I think it's funny that this movie does have that kind of tongue in cheek, like, you know, yeah, Adam's family, Adam's family values. That's exactly what it is. And it's a lot more about the family in this one anyway. So, but yeah, yeah, totally. And it, I do love the fact that again, like this, this, nut, this family unit, I mean, it's not like they're like lecturing anybody by any means, but no. I feel like you can watch the movie and get like, this is a tight group. And there is a certain, mm-hmm. like there's a level of respect. There's this, there's that. Um, yeah. yeah. And it just, it just like works so well. So I think the title is fantastic. Especially, I think it's so good. You know, Especially yeah. the tongue-in-cheek reference. Right. And I, you know, I wonder this a little bit. So we'll get into a little bit of a plot and just the breakdown of characters or whatever we want to do. But why, 
<laughs> Why do you think, as somebody who has seen both of these movies, I guess, like I said, to me, this always feels like, do you feel like the first movie is as campy as the second one is? Because I don't know if I feel that. Um, that's a great question. Um, I'm sure, and I, I've definitely seen values more than I've seen the original. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I want to say, like, I'm sure there's campy elements of it. I'm sure it's there. Uh, but I, I would say that I think because of what's in this movie and the particular scenes that are in this, that just like really help, like, elevate it so much more which makes i think it uh, stick a little harder for people in terms of the campiness of course you know there's what about debbie's scene at the end um so i that's a good question uh i don't know i i I, I wish i would have rewatched the original prior to (laughs) to this as well no i i think like it's interesting because it follows the family you know as like you know it's that but i feel like I don't know what it is, but like this other movie just feels like, I don't know. It just feels a lot more campy. Maybe it's also because like, from what I understand about the first movie, that movie is a lot more about Fester and like him trying to figure out if he's actually an Adams or whatever the hell and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's not focused too much on it's focused on the family, but like, you don't have as much with like Christina Ricci and Jimmy Workman, you know what I mean? Uh, or anything like that. You know, it's, it's kind of more into this, but like this movie, you have both the Debbie storyline with Fester, but you also have the storyline with Wednesday and Pugsley, which I think is really interesting, which I think also just like um, gives to, you know, maybe that's why also why children really latched onto this one too, because you're following kids that are of your similar age, perhaps, you know, so that might also be yeah. it as well, you know, but yeah. Well, and I think too, because of the, in the first one where it is this person who is not aware that he is fester and is fester. And there's that right. whole trying to um, pull the rug out on the family because of trying to get the money and all the things that go right. with that. Mm-hmm. There's, that family disconnect of them not being this tight family unit where here, right. I mean, it's, I think one of the reasons why I like sequels so much, because it's like, we've established the characters, we know the players. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. and even though I saw this one first, it was like, it just dove right into things. Did my dog, I think my dog just like, did it like a yipey, like yawn sound. Did that come through? I it <laughs> uh, it kind of did, but don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so, uh, now I'm now I'm dog distracted. What was I saying? So I guess uh, <laughs> you were saying uh, about like um with this movie with the first movie that you know is a little disconnected because of just like the plot with like you know Fester and all that. But this movie, I think you were going on that kind of like idea. Yeah. So I guess I guess not that not that the first one's like really disconnected, but I guess it's that tight unit where like I mean Fester's a yeah. part of it. We know Fester's a part of it. Um, yeah, and it's, it's those so many stories are running with the different family members, and of course, Gomez has right. his own um, storyline going on with like what's happening with Fester, and of course, Pubert has a thing. Like, there's just I know, so many right. things happening, and um, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to like a, a lost tangent now. So, <laughs> no, you're fine. No, but it's true. I mean, I think like the reason, and also with that too, like these 
two um, movies, you know, especially, I think they are, I don't know. Like, I, I think this movie in particular as well, like it is very much like you're following the whole family unit as, as a whole. Um, and again, the first one is fine for what it is. It made a, fu- um, you know, fuck ton of money, obviously, but I, I think you're able to latch on to it more again uh, to bring it back to the Brady Bunch movie again. Uh, again, there's people who are like, Oh yeah, the second one is way campier and it kind of is, but I think the first one sets out who these characters are. This is Gary Cole. This is Shelley long doing what they're doing. This is what Christine Taylor and Jennifer Lee Cox is doing, you know, all this stuff, um, you know, but you're able to have more fun in the second movie. Um you know, because you already know the characters, you're already aware of that. And then throwing someone in like Joan Cusack to play this like weird, you know, character. Um, also having like the, the camp setting as well, uh, with these, like, which obviously is poking fun at stuff as well. I, I just think like, it's, it's really nicely written and it's just like very funny, you know? And it's just like, I don't know. It, it's just, a, it's a fun time, but yeah. I, I would I would say that for sure. But um if you had to though, so Travis, I'm giving you a challenge a little bit. Um, if you had to explain like what Adam's family values is about in particular, it was somebody like you act as if somebody has never seen it before. How would you describe the plot of this movie, if anything? <laughs> if somebody's never All seen right. it before. So if I was gonna <clears throat> Pardon me. Say, describe this as someone who's never seen it before. I would say there's this movie about a tight family unit mm-hmm. um, that, you know, they get, um, I don't want to say invaded. That sounds really dramatic, but they basically they have a new addition and mm-hmm. therefore it requires them to bring in a babysitter. And his babysitter by chance just mm-hmm. happens to, um, you know, have some ulterior motives. Yes. She is a serial killer. I probably wouldn't say that right out of the gate. We'd probably just look at the ulterior motives. motives. Right. Um, and because of that, she has to make the appropriate moves to get variables out of her way so she can get her get to her goal, which is getting married to the man with the money being Fester. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, you know, family. But you can't keep a good family down, I suppose, right? At least right. in this movie. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And then fun be had all as those events play out. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I would I would say that's a pretty, pretty decent thing. I guess if I was to explain this to anybody or anything like that, I would say, okay, the Adams family are this like kooky, macabre family who lives in a big house. Uh, as you stated, uh, they just had a new baby. And, and because of the new baby, they have a babysitter that they're finding. They find Debbie from the agency. Uh, again, Debbie has the other motives. Um, as a result of this, she is doing her own scheming and scamming to the top. Um, while this is all happening, you also have the two children, Wednesday and Pugsley, who kind of, uh, against their wishes, get sent to a camp called Camp Chippewa, uh, and hilarity ensues from there as well. Um, but then they come back together as a family unit to defeat the evil but fabulousness that is Debbie Jelinski. And then that's the Adam Sealy Values movie, <laughs> I guess, like, really, truly. Um, Oh, and there's a yeah. musical number. Can't forget about there the is a musical number. number. You are very correct about that. That's right. But yeah, um, 
Yeah. I guess if anything, like I'll do like a literal good, like three minutes. I'm going to, I'm not timing myself, but I'll, I'll give a little plot of just what this movie is, even though me and Travis did a great job at explaining it. Um, but the basic idea is that uh, Gomez and Morticia Adams, they hire a nanny named Debbie Jelinski to take care of their newborn son, Pubert, um, after their oldest siblings, Wednesday Pugsley, failed attempt to kill him because um, you can't have another baby in the house, uh, for which Gomez and Morticia gen- gently rebuke them. <laughs> so they hire this nanny. Unbeknownst to them, she is a serial killer. Also spoilers, I guess, too, who rich uh, marries rich billionaire, uh, rich bachelors, sorry, and murders them to collect their inheritances. And after Debbie seduces Uncle Fester, um, Wednesday becomes suspicious of her intentions. And to maintain her cover, uh, Debbie tricks Gomez and Morticia to believing that uh, the kids want to go to a summer camp, which they're sent to. Um they're managed uh this camp camp chippewa is managed by uh gary and becky granger um and they're all cheerful and nice or whatever and they're singled out by these counselors um and the popular and snobbish girl amanda buckman um for their macabre appearance and their um behavior also there's a boy named joel glicker who's played by my husband who um is like an outcast as well he becomes uh attracted to wednesday and uh also in addition to this debbie and fester actually get engaged they become married uh at the bachelorette party debbie is repulsed by these uh adam's family and their relatives um and she gives her undying devotion to him saying oh actually you can't be with your family you need to like separate ties with them if they were going to be um you know married she unsuccessfully debbie tries to kill fester but he ends up not dying um she tries like blowing him up in the mansion and all this stuff but nothing seems to happen and nothing seems to uh you know kill him for whatever reason um the baby has turned from a um baby that has a mustache um <clears throat> who's like gray toned to a regular baby uh with like curly hair and blue eyes and this is horrible um and so disruptive family life there's also a musical number as you stated at the camp um and pretty much wednesday and pugsley literally like um they kind of do a massacre on this camp in a way I guess of um, where you know uh yeah they they rise up uh against these white privileged people which i appreciate really really yeah, much so they, they make people do some critical thinking about like what really they happened do. They really so. do. Um, anyway, so they go back, you know, they escape from the camp and all that. And then what ends up happening is that everyone um, figures out what's going on with Debbie. They're like, oh, like she's a crazy bitch, pretty much. And Debbie uh, takes them all hostage at the house um, where she has a whole speech about, you know, how she deserves, and you know, her, her life um, and all this. Anyway, what ends up pretty much happening is Pubert ends up actually inadvertently killing killing Debbie, I think, uh, through a fun Rube Goldberg series of events um, as they're all like um, strapped to electric chairs and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, it's always very nice. And then sometime later, uh, it's Pubert's first birthday, and then they all get together, and it's really nice and wonderful. Um, Joel is now part of the family because he's with Wednesday now, um, and it's really nice and cute. And everyone lives happily ever after, pretty much, I guess. Like, it's the plot, I I would assume. So that's all you really need to know about with with that. (laughs) Yeah, and there's a ton of one-liners along the way that- I got so many. Use in life. Like, wish me luck. 
good luck uh, <laughs> it's so good like i love it uh yeah no so that's like the basic plot about what this adam stanley values movie is about um yeah i mean i think like are there any particular I, we can always talk about Debbie, I guess, and we can talk about her as well. But is there any standout characters for you that, you know, uh, are there any standout characters that we haven't already kind of mentioned as well um, that you'd want to talk about or anything that just kind of stands out to you? Like, what is it about, like, Debbie that just makes her, like, the icon of this movie? <laughs> Partly. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I guess in terms of other things we haven't talked about, we haven't talked about Thing. Um, oh, yeah, Thing. Yeah. The hand rolling around. Um, I think before we get into the, the Debbie of it all, though, I'd love to just, you know, touch on the, the dark humor. You know, I think they're oh, yes. just so smart, you know, so wise. Um, this was actually one of the first times uh, I caught when Debbie and Gomez are going down the steps after Debbie starts. And Morticia's like, you know, I have all the important numbers, police, fire department, morgue. I never caught that she says morgue in that scene. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's, you know, how funny. I love that line. Um, but, and even, um, I mean, we talked about the wish me luck, but that's part of, like, that's Debbie's deal. Um, but like when, when Wednesday and Pugsley are trying to off Hubert because that archaic family rule where they think one of the siblings has to die. When yes. the whole guillotine thing happens and Pubert grabs the blade and Wednesday's just like, whoa to the Republic. I've definitely <laughs> said that out loud for like something that was, that was wild. Um, not as much as I, I have. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's any other like one liners that I love. Yeah. Just looking through my notes. Cause Oh, the, the, we don't hug like when it's mail uh-huh. call, you know, and when they're like, Oh, you know, you're just shy. And you know, Pugs is like, you know, I'm not shy. And Wednesday's like, we're contagious. And like, it's just so snappy. So, yeah. Um, I mean, to put them all on t shirts, like, they could have this movie could have its own line of it like, really good on shirts. Yeah. I, I like some of the ones where we're talking about the dark humor of it all. Like, I think there's so many good ones. Like, for example, when they're going through all of the, um, the babysitting, like the nanny applicants, Cynthia Nixon's one of them. That's fun. Um, but I love how, like, uh, somebody one of the the last candidate they have has a puppet or whatever that she has and like she's like oh let's clean our rooms or whatever and then literally like for some reason wednesday has a little devil puppet and i love the way that she like um uh she like uh rubs the hands of the devil puppet together it's so funny it's those little touches that i'm just like these are like this is why this movie is really fun like it's just like so camp and not serious but like it also just is very good uh it's like that stuff um of course i love the like i I think it must be an angelica houston's contract where she just has a key light on her the whole time she's on set with her eyes or whatever it's amazing like oh yeah and the makeup to help make them glow i mean come on like obviously um it's just loving things like you know uh you know uh morticia talking about like you know um you have him under some kind of sex trance i can respect that but debbie pastels you know that kind of thing like it's just so silly uh i also love when she's reading uh, morticia's reading to the to the now changed pubert and they look like a regular baby um and she's reading cat in the hat to them 
It's just like really yeah. fun. And, and he's, and she's just like, Oh no, he lives. Like, it's just yeah. so, <laughs> there are so many good things. I mean, like, and then obviously like, I think Wednesday herself just being this kind of like, you know, deadpan, acerbic girl of like 11 or 12 or how old she is. Um, but like, you know, so many of her things, like her telling the the surgery story, the plastic surgery story to the rest of the campers is like really funny. That's really silly. Um, you know, oh, I'll be the victim all your life. You know, it's yeah. just like this is some smart writing that I think is just like goes over kids' heads enough, but also when you rewatch it back, you're like, oh, this is actually very funny. Um and like it's smart. kind of a gift. It's the kid, it's the yeah. It's the gift that keeps on giving on that front, right? Like you mm-hmm. watch it the first time and it's just like, you might laugh because you catch it. I think especially yeah. watching it as a younger person. And then like when you watch it again, it's like, oh, it's so funny. And then like you yeah. watch it again and then you catch like another comment or just that delivery, something about like, it's it, it's almost like it's timeless because of the way yeah. the jokes just kind of hit the mark. Uh, yeah. Like when, when Pugsley, when they're in the line for archery, mm-hmm. right? And like Joel Glicker is, is struggling and he just throws it because Gary's over it, and then Pugsley shoots down the eagle, and they're like, uh, "Isn't that an American ball eagle? Or you know, aren't they extinct?" And Wednesday's just like, "They are now." <laughs> it's so <laughs> like, good. Doesn't miss a beat. It's just like right there with the comment. Oh my god! Like Wednesday's yeah, two cents. Oh my god! It's so good. Like it's very fun, and and then even like I, I do like that this movie, especially, um, you know, it, it's it, there's not too much commentary if you will on this i feel like the adamses themselves are very much kind of a kind of queer coded thing of like this movie or this family is just othered because they are different they are kind of this weird macabre thing but like also because of that you know you could definitely i could see why queer audiences would like this movie um but I also think that, like, just some of the the commentary that's being made of, like, you know, uh, specifically, too, with, like, the camp, where a lot of these, like, it's just so funny where you have these people who are saying, you know, we're privileged, and that's what it, this is all about, and whatever. And it's just, like, that's just, when you look at it now, it's just, like, no, that's very smartly written, I think. You know, it's you know, you find Absolutely. out that this super, the, you find out the summer camp is like $20,000 apparently. <laughs> um, apropos, I guess, but like, you know, it's just like, um, writing these like characters that are like chipper and like happy and like all this stuff. Right. And like, quote unquote, normal, uh, juxtaposing them to the Adams family, of course. But yeah, it's really just literally making fun of, the privileged and of the upper class or, or whatever. Um, even though technically, I guess the Adams are well off technically, I guess, but they're just different. They're not the same as the families that are going to this place. Um, and I think that's a really interesting thing to put in the script like that. Um, which now is just satire at this point, I think at the time was satire, but is now much more so. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, the idea of this whole thing with, of course, this is coming out right before Thanksgiving, but like, you know, the idea of like this whitewashed idea of what we think of what um, we're told is what Thanksgiving is and what the actual history of this all is, is quite different. Um, 
but this movie is one where yeah it is very much like pointing out the kind of inaccuracies and what we've been taught and all this kind of stuff and i think they do it and i think that's why this movie has kind of survived in a way and it is a timeless thing uh you're that's a good point it doesn't feel dated to me you know i really don't think it does um but it's something where it's just like no this is just like a satire of a bunch of different things and i think it's done in a way that you know it's just very funny like it's just that whole like musical number and the whole like you know um destruction of the thanksgiving play uh again it's just like so I don't know. It's just very smartly written. And it's just like a takedown of what this is. Uh, Because yes, if you're white and privileged and all this stuff, it would be different than what you would, you know? Yeah. It's absolutely like, you're going to have a different viewpoint as other people in the world do, or other people are even in your own country do. Um, Which, yeah, I just think that's like really fun, smart writing, you know, good, good for Paul Rudnick. (laughs) You know, the queers are so much better at just a lot of things, really. Um, fact. That's a fact. <laughs> I mean, like, we just, I don't know, we're just great. You know, it's fine. Like, you know. It very much, know. like, in hindsight, it like, was such so ahead of its time, right? Because, like, those were I think so. things, yeah. like, we that weren't being said, weren't being talked about. And now, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. it's 2023 when we're chatting. Um, yeah. You know, and so much has been challenged. So much has been disrupted in terms of, like, what normal was. You know, yeah. so to have that scene where like Wednesday really breaks it down in 1993, it's like, holy mm-hmm. smokes, like, yeah. this is so valuable, so important. Um, yeah. And really, it, I'm sure it's one of those things where like you write it, like you said, for the, a level of satire at the time. Yes. But like, what then has allowed it to have these legs that have just allowed it to go on forever and just be this great movie that is mm-hmm. kind of timeless is because, you know, we're now, we're now challenging these things that we were always told, you know, right. where it's like, the, like the math doesn't really math in this case. Like, <laughs> right. so, you know, hats off to the movie for being so ahead of the, um, the curve. Of the curve. Its time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can, I, I can get into that. Can, just to circle back. I don't, um, you did bring it up a little bit and I don't want to like, go too far from it in terms of like some of the otherness and the queerness of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess for those listening, you identify as non-binary. Um, yep. and love a gender neutral moment it was this yes. viewing in particular where the opening scene I, I just love it so much when they're like you know father what is it and it's like is it's boy it's a girl and and gomez is just like so confident in his it's an adams like yes. period that's all it is like nothing else matters other than the fact that it's an adams um and so i'm just like oh I love that. Yeah. Like how include I love how inclusive this family is. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And I think that's why people come back to this movie, especially, especially this film. Like it's just there's a sensibility to it that I think because it was written by a gay guy, you know, um, I, I think you can kind of latch on to that. But I also just think like, you know, yeah, like there is this fun, yeah, like you have something like that in 1993 that is, you know. I think people can look at that now, like you said, and be like, you know, wow, that's so super cool that they were like pretty inclusive about that. And, you know, they're poking fun at how ridiculous this is. Like, for example, when um, Becky Martin Granger is like talking about all the other um, 
like campers that are like the campers of color and stuff like that as well um and she doesn't know how to like pronounce some of the names so like one of the kids names is jamal but then she's like i'm gonna have a real hard time with this one a jamal like it's that kind of a thing of like it's making fun of this like person who obviously is probably not like you know aware of much diversity in her own life i guess even though she's completely married to a gay guy but it's fine uh my own opinion but whatever uh but it's like you know um it's poking fun at that and i think that's what i like about this is that i i like when there can be this kind of uh biting point to a satire or or something that's being said which is why i like something like I just realized that um, in about a month or so, or if it hasn't already come out, Alexander Payne has a new movie coming out, which I'm kind of interested in. Uh, he's the same guy who did Election and Citizen Ruth and all these. Go check those movies out, please. They're so good. Uh, but uh, he's very much about like, especially in those films, like he's very much about satirizing and having that kind of biting satire to something like Election or um, when it comes to like, politics and then with citizen ruth it's about abortion so you know and he has a new movie coming out actually but i I like that kind of thing and i think this does do that a little bit and you know i just think that's fun like yeah Uh, yeah i mean yeah so we've talked about some different like scenes of this movie um talked about some of the characters i guess as well did you also know that um the kid the kid the person who plays cousin it in this movie actually is also i believe the little boy or not the boy but the guy who plays isaac in the children of the corn movies he literally was that is that's news to me yeah you don't see him obviously but yes that is him he's the same guy um he is like he's not like completely a dwarf or anything he's not a little person or whatever but um he just he looks younger than he actually is um literally physiologically so like you know that works out in his favor i guess but apparently he he played cousin it i was like that's cute that's nice good for him good for him uh also gay i believe queer that guy's queer that's fun good old isaac from children of the corn have you ever seen children of the corn ever and yeah i've never seen it i've never seen it in its entirety because it was like what on tnt or usa like it was definitely one that, of those movies out. where I, it feels like it was in syndication where I would like catch parts of it. It was oh, like, yeah. oh, it'll be on TV. I'll get oh, to yeah. it. But then I just never got to it. But eh, yeah, you're fine. The first one's pretty good. I haven't watched the rest of them, but like, you know, I, I think it's a fun 80s horror. Definitely, definitely cute. Love it. But yeah, so I mean, that's like, you know, talk about some of these scenes. I mean, if you really go on and on about movie in general, um, yeah and i also think like especially queer audiences liking this movie too um because i I think just what joan cusack is doing with debbie especially is just the height of this over-the-top camp of that role like i said she knows what movie she's in you know and and she's supposed to be this villain obviously she is the villain really um you know malibu barbie what about Debbie, you know, and, and all this, like <laughs> what, what about Debbie? God damn it. But anyway, so, but I love that she just kind of goes for broke. Yeah. You know, she just goes and is like, oh, yeah. yep. And it's this camp over the top performance, you know, how about a kiss? <laughs> you have a 20. 
<laughs> like <that's> funny yeah <laughs> so good like it's just like so like this whole thing is like I, I can understand why especially queer audiences like the movie again because it's written by a gay guy because it has these moments of being kind of over the top and campy whatever Joan Cusack is doing you know like it, it's just all these things that kind of amalgamate into this movie that I think just on its surface you know is this rehash of a a property that was you know long known but I think if anything, like as somebody who has seen both the movies, I guess you would consider yourself a fan of uh, this property, if you will. What do you I think the legacy? Yeah. yeah. What do you think the legacy of this film has been? And, you know, yeah. Like, what do you think the legacy has been? You know, where do you want to see this series go in the future? I guess as we're kind of wrapping up a little bit as well, but like, yeah. Like, what do you think the legacy of this film has been? And, you know, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Oh, legacy. So, I mean, obviously, Debbie, um, <clears throat> pardon me, Debbie's whole monologue about like what about Debbie has legacy. In fact, uh, Jinx Monsoon from Drag Race, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Jinx has a song called like What About Debbie? And it's it's on Jinx's <laughs> first album. It's so much fun. So, you know, I think the, the campiness of, of the movie, the, um, I think the, the the dark comedy of it all, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. is something that is always remembered because of the who the family is, where they find mm-hmm. humor in like what is not the norm. Um, yeah, I think with this this particular property, the Adams, where I would love to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I talked about this to friends about the the TV show Wednesday, which I struggled with at first, right. Um, and I get that I'm, I'm not a teenager. I'm in my late thirties. Right. Um, right. But like, Jen, and Jenna Ortega was great. It was something that the cast did, but I think I, and I get the show is called Wednesday. So it is obviously about Wednesday, but mm-hmm. I think what I've always loved about the Adams family is that it's about the family, you know? So mm-hmm. I hope from uh, uh, what I would love to see is like, bring it back to the family, tell more stories of like how they're like, dealing with things or whatever right. and i think that's why this particular movie i love so much because we get so much with so many different atoms yeah you know, and that's and even with um i mean even i guess even the first one you know the, the first one's great because at one point morticia steps up as like like the the lead of the family and whatnot right. but um you know, i think that, like, the aesthetic the, the, the macabre style that it has that's part of the mm-hmm. legacy um and just it's just a world that I feel like a lot of people want to be in. <laughs> like yeah, no, totally. It's so, it's, it's so inviting, I guess, from a, the, because it is this, this family that is creepy and kooky and all the things that they describe them in the song, right. but ultimately like they're, they're so inviting, you know, like, yeah. it, I think, like think of Debbie, like Debbie tried to like murder them and very right. much were like, by the end of that movie, like she could have joined that family. Absolutely. Like, they gladly would have had her. So, um, I, th- I think I'm kind of like going off on a tangent at this point. Just in terms, no, of, I want, I want more. I just want more of it where it is the family, period. right? Where That's every fair. character, like an ensemble cast, where they can mm. everybody can shine, have their moments, tell a few stories, you know, give us a few movies, give us a TV show, whatever. But um, yeah, so we'll see. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to Wednesday season two. From what right. I hear, 
from what I've read, rumors, you know, whatever, it sounds like there might be more family elements. So that would be fantastic. Right. Um, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think that's totally fair. And I, I completely understand. I think this movie has had a legacy all its own. I mean, the reason I think it has a cult following is because there are people like yourself who are either your age or a little younger or maybe a little older as well, who grew up and saw this movie and saw the first one perhaps as well. Um, but just remember having this and enjoying it for what it was when they were kids. And I think that's how a lot of cult movies kind of work out is that, you know, did this film like, you know, did it work on some level? Like I said, this was technically a financial flop. However, I think it's a little bit better critically, you know, seen, I guess. Um, but I absolutely think like this movie had a impact on other movies coming after it. Um, to tie it back to the Brady Bunch movie, I absolutely think that this movie influenced what the Brady Bunch movies would be a little bit. Um, because I think it takes that television show and turns it into something that really stands on its own and feels really cool. Um, so definitely that and just anything that might have come after that as well. I think this is a shining example of like, here's how you both do a sequel really well um, to something, but also like this, this movie just stands alone on its own. And I, I love when a movie can do that um, for sure. Uh, did you ever watch the animated, like the, um, the ones that recently came out? Did you see those at all? I saw the first one. Uh, it was fine. I didn't see the second one. Okay. Um, I just just kind of really got around to it, didn't prioritize it, but I do remember enjoying okay. the first one, and I do like that the the animated movie was uh, the style of the characters was more in line with the comics, mm-hmm. so I thought that yes. was that was a nice tie in. So yeah, yeah. So you know, it's that, and like I, I think, like yeah, I think this movie has had a legacy because of just how like kind of weird and camp it is um i think it has found a a queer fan base as well um you know which is cool too and just people who are you know horror fans as well they they think of that i'm sure there's plenty of people who when christina rishi goes to a core convention you know there's plenty of people who love her for wednesday obviously um and this movie is a big part of that as well um but yeah i mean like i just think like this movie has had such an interesting legacy. It is a cult film for, I think, a reason because, you know, it, it came out of this weird time where Paramount was like, yeah, let's just fucking do it, dude. Let's just, let's do it. Like, let's make this weird ass movie. <laughs> um, and then let's also make the pretty much movie like after that as well. Like, let's do that. Like they were just taking risks, you know, and, and it ended up paying off, which was cool. Um, and I can understand as just as somebody who I wouldn't say I'm like a fan of this, you know, property or whatever. I, I just haven't watched it enough. Uh, but you know, I, I do, I would love to see it. I didn't watch Wednesday or anything like that. Um, don't really plan on it really, but maybe who knows, but, uh, it would be nice to just see this. Like, I think if anything, hopefully, I think this this property at least um has been fine and it's gone through different iterations. Um the monsters has also done as well. Um and you know we we will not really talk much about the 20 no 2020 2021 uh Rob Zombie Monsters. 
Oof. Oh God. I tried watching it, that. I it was fine. I I, I thought it was fine. <laughs> I, was I fun. tried watching that and you're better than me because I oof. so anyway, I think just to like I guess touch on that idea of like different people touching different properties, all the things. Yeah. Um, as so I guess as a musician. Um, and writing songs, sure. I always like doing my own stuff, but like with certain bands that I really like, mm-hmm. I love their original songs. Yes. But there are times where I love when they do a cover. Um, yeah. for example, yeah. I think the band dope does some of the best covers, uh, when it comes to band, the band, the Haxons, I think they also, they are like top tier in terms of like taking a song and making it their style and, and doing a great cover. They have a great cover of Pet mm-hmm. Cemetery, um, they just put out a cover of ministries every day is Halloween. But so to that point, I mean, I've mm-hmm. said there's a point to this, you know, when right. somebody like Rob zombie or whoever mm-hmm. wants to take a property and like do their own thing with it. I, I think I look, I always come at it from the, the cover song mindset of like, yes, I think it needs to be a little bit different. Let's see what it has to be. Let's see what they're doing with it. And I think mm-hmm. some of it is also like the optimist in me where I'm like, a group of people worked really hard on this property. So like, let it be its own thing. <laughs> sure. Sure. That's fair. I'm um, also easily entertained by like a lot of things. So I'm not here to be critical. I'm here to be entertained. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I myself am, uh, I like to be easily entertained too, but I also want to be entertained as well. Um, and for me, at least that particular uh film uh did not do it for me as somebody who's never really even watched the monsters like that i just was like what what is going on here what's 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 up with this um which again that's kind of a general consensus of that film anyway but i i completely respect what you're saying though where it's like yeah let them do something a little different and maybe it'll work you know, there's probably plenty of people who would be like, yo, what the fuck's with those like Adam's Family movies? Like, they're horrible because it's not like the original show. But that's the point. It's not supposed to be. Um, again, this is just turning into a Brady Bunch podcast, but like, you know, talking about like, there's people who were like, oh, I hate those movies because, but there's people who think that too. And I'm like, okay, but like, sure, I guess. But again, everyone has their own kind of, um, their own kind of understandings or not understandings, but like their own opinions on that stuff. Um, I just think for me, at least like it, it, I just have to be actually be entertained. And when I'm not entertained, that just makes it when I'm not entertained, it's just not something I'm going to be like, Oh yeah, rush out and watch this. You know what I mean? But everyone's different, you know? Absolutely. And that's fine. Yeah, totally. But I think that kind of brings an end to our conversation about this though. Cause I mean, uh, our closing thoughts, our final thoughts, like Jerry Springer, you know, um, <laughs> I, I think if anything, like uh, my final thoughts, at least are, I think this movie is great. I think it stands on its own. It's super fun, super campy. It's nice. You don't have to necessarily have watched the show before to understand it. You can kind of just come in blind and hopefully enjoy yourself with it. Um, and I think that this movie doesn't necessarily have like, it only has so much to say, but I think it actually says a lot and I don't really know if it meant to do that, but I'm happy that it does. 
I guess, if anything. So, and I'd love to see this, uh, I'd love to see this property done differently as well. And I'm down for that. Do you have any fun closing thoughts uh, as well, Travis? I'm trying to think final. I mean, I, I would agree with everything you said. Um, in terms of your final thoughts. Um, I, I mean, the, the cast is wonderful. Uh, I, I definitely would like to, I guess, emphasize the, you probably don't have to see the first one. You probably don't have to have seen any Adam thing. Like you can just like grab this movie mm-hmm. and drop into it. And like, off you go yeah. to the races and have a good time. Yep. So yeah, I think that's definitely not something you can say about a lot of other movies. So I love, I love that. Um, I don't I just, I think it's just so smart, so fun, <laughs> timeless um, mm-hmm. in so many ways, but then also at the same time, kind of very nineties, like love that the ending credit song is by tag team with Adam's family. Yes. Like, whoop, that, how much fun is that? So good. Um, yeah, like, just pick me up, put me in that world, put me in that house. Like, where can I get mm-hmm. a room at? Because I just want to be there. I absolutely love it. I love that. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Travis, for coming on the show today, having this conversation about this movie. Uh, again, I'll, you know, I might pop it back on again, you know, around this time anyway, because it is a fun little thanksgiving movie if you want to call it that i guess uh but yeah but thank you so much for coming on the show i know this won't be your last time we already have some things in the works um but yeah i'm super excited about you know uh about what else we'll we'll talk about as well but um thank you so much for coming on i really do appreciate it um and would you like to plug any of your socials or anything like that for anybody who may want to follow you yeah, well, first, uh, first, let me say thank you for having me on. Um, I mean, you spent you sent that spreadsheet out. We, have, we chatted, like you said, on Insta- Instagram. And when I saw Adam's Family Values, I was like, I love this movie. If no one has signed up for it, can I please come and talk about it? Um, so this has been great. You know, I love that like podcasts and horror once again are like bringing people together. Uh, like you said, you were on you were on horror queers, and that's where I heard you. And uh, actually, you would rem- you had reminded me also that I heard you on movies that made us gay. Uh, oh yes the um my wonderful boys uh, the part the party monster party monster and beautiful thing so um so again thank you for having me this has been great uh i guess in terms of social yeah i'm on instagram uh and twitter it's it's more than mindless without the a due to character limits uh so m-o-r-e-t-h-n-m-i-n-d-l-e-s-s so uh, you can follow me there where I'm usually posting. Uh, it's kind of come back my little caffeinated and dangerous coffee thing that I do. I just, I love coffee. I love talking about coffee and like how people make mixed drinks and mixed drinks and cocktails, all the things. Um, my band, Edward Pie, we're not currently active, but you can look us up on Apple and Apple Music, Spotify. Uh, we have some, it's kind of like horror-esque uh, themed music, if you will. Um, int- or uh, Afraid of the Hearse Racer is like a little maxi single that is very much like a horror rock thing. Uh, and that's about it. Feel free to like send me a message about some movie. I probably haven't seen it because I'm terrible at watching stuff. But like the ones that I have seen, I love and like always want to talk about them. So yeah. So thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And yeah, I think that's that brings us to our end but thank you so much and i hope you have a good rest of your night okay
Nice. So, oh, and because I usually end things with this way, I'm going to say cheers, bitch. It's the thing that I say and do. There you go. Cheers, cheers. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so via email at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com in case you want to give any movie or episode recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to just say, hey, I'm open to all of it. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Instagram and Instagram threads at Cult Cinema Circle. I tend to post what I'll be covering for the next week on there, post stories, things like that. On X, I'm at Cult Cinecircle. On there, I don't really post a whole lot, but if you want to follow the show, it's there for you to follow. And then on Letterboxd, I'm at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log little movie reviews, I'll log what I'm watching, and then it's also a nice way to kind of see what I might be covering on the show in the future. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 2008's Repo the Genetic Opera. By the year 2056, an epidemic of organ failures has devastated the planet. The megacorporation, Jinko, provides organ transplants on a payment plan, and those who can't fulfill their plans have their organs repossessed. In the midst of this, a sickly teenager discovers a shocking secret about herself, her father, and their connection to Jinko. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, and remember, I hope that someday you'll know the indescribable joy of having children and of paying someone else to raise them. Take care. Bye. Bye.